One day or a thousand years, Pastor Dave Roberts explores scripture and the prophetic meaning behind the clues that God has given us throughout the Bible. We can't ignore it. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. My name is Dave Roberts. I'm pastor of Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas. On today's podcast, I want to continue with some thoughts regarding the coming of Christ. As I said in the previous uh, episode, when you look at end-time events, you are looking at scriptures and drawing conclusions that uh, seem to be the most reasonable. For some reason, God has decided to give us clues in His Word without absolute specifics about many things regarding the end times. It's as if He wants us to explore the scriptures for ourselves to see how His Holy Spirit would lead us to discovery of His plans for our lives both now and in the days to come. There are some who feel that because, well, there's not that many specifics on these end time events, we shouldn't waste our time with any of it. Yet, how do you avoid the wealth of Scripture that is either straight prophecy or has some prophetic meaning? Some have estimated that about 30% of all Scripture is either directly or indirectly prophetic about future events. God has given us by His own purpose many clues regarding what is to come. And I always look back to the passage in Amos 3.7, which says this, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret counsel to His servants, the prophets. God loves His people, and it has never been His intention to keep us completely in the dark as to His ways. Well, if he wanted to do that, he would have never inspired the prophet Daniel to write about the end times or, or John to write the book of Revelation. They just wouldn't exist. I'm also reminded of the passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 6 that the apostle Paul wrote. He said this, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety... Then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober." The coming of Christ will catch the world by surprise, complete surprise, like a thief in the night, it says. But we, believers, are not of the night. We are those who are looking for his return, and his coming will not overtake us like a thief. It will be expected. I give you that preface today because what I want to talk about has to do with time periods, which I think... God may have revealed to us through his word that signal the signs of the end times and his return. I want to start by looking at Isaiah, the 46th chapter, verse 9 and 10. It says this, Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Remember that phrase, that God has determined the end from the beginning. 
Then in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter is speaking of the end times when he writes this in verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. He emphasizes this point by saying, don't let this fact escape your notice, because this is important to the end time events of which he's talking about in chapter 3. The Lord calculates one day as a thousand years. Now, now, some have said that Peter is just saying that God looks at time much differently than we do. Well, that's true. But Peter is quite specific with the time frames by using one day and 1,000 years. It is obvious that he purposely connects these two time frames when it comes to his consideration of the day of the Lord when you put the prophecy in Isaiah 46.10 together with this verse in 2 Peter 3, it reveals that something about the beginning has determined the end and that one day is as a thousand years. And many will see this as the seven-day creation story that it has determined the 7,000-year time frame for the existence of man on this planet, determining the end from the beginning. When you step back from that thought and begin to unpack it, more and more it begins to take shape. Using biblical genealogies, you can calculate back pretty close to the time of Adam and Eve being somewhere around 4000 BC. Abraham was born about 2000 years later. Some say he was born 1948 years after the creation. Well, I'm not quite willing to hang my hat on being that specific, but it, it is interesting to contemplate uh, that 1948 as the nation of Israel was founded in 1948 A.D. <laughs> anyway, we are fairly sure that there was around 4,000 years before Christ. If that is so, then Jesus came roughly 2,000 years after Abraham. Now, if we're lining up the complete 7,000-year cycle of man on earth with the seven-day creation story, remember, one day is a thousand years, we see that God worked for six days and then rested on the seventh. The seventh day would then be prophetic of the human years, 6,000 to 7,000, as the time when Jesus will rest with his people during the millennial reign. Now, if that is the case, then sometime around the end of the sixth millennium is the time of all the events of the end times. Doing the math, if Jesus came around the 4,000th year of humanity, that means somewhere around, well, let's say 2,000 years later, or two prophetic days after the death of Christ, would be his return. Hmm, I find that somewhat interesting. Let me give you two other verses that have caught my attention recently. The first is found in the prophet Hosea. He is prophesying to the Jewish people about remaining expectant for the coming of God to bring healing. In the sixth chapter of Hosea, verses 1 and 2, he writes this, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. 
he will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. Now the passage is describing people awaiting the work of the Lord, more specifically the nation of Israel. There is an expectation of the coming work of the Lord. Then the prophet mentions this very specific time frame of two days. Now, most commentators will simply say that the time period refers to a rapid restoration, but I find the specificity of the time period most intriguing. He could have said one day, he could have said three days, but no, it is exactly two days. Could he mean two prophetic days or 2,000 years? When you combine it with the 7,000-year life cycle for humanity, with Jesus coming at the end of day four, 4,000 years after creation, then two more days would be the return of Christ at the end of the sixth millennium. That just happens to be the time in which we currently live. The prophet Hosea is specific, saying that he will wait for two days, then we will be raised as the third day arrives, and then the reason for this raising is given. He says that so we may live before him. It sure sounds to me like what will happen in the millennial reign of Christ. During that time, Jesus will rule the world. We will be with him, fulfilling John 14, which says, where Jesus says, I will come again, that where I am, there you will be also. There's, a, there's another scripture I find extremely interesting that makes me think of this very same thing. You remember the story of the death of Lazarus in John 11. The two sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, send word to Jesus that Lazarus is dying. In verse 5, it says that Jesus loved this trio, this little family in Bethany very much. He has a history with them. You remember the whole story of Mary and Martha. They were like family to him. And he hears that his close friend, Lazarus, is dying. It is striking to me what verses 6 and 7 say. So when he, Jesus, heard that he, Lazarus, was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. You have to ask the question, why does he purposely wait? Well, more specifically, why does he purposely wait exactly two days? Could it be prophetically significant? Well, the story goes on to show that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. There was a two-day delay before a raising up of that which was dead. The two-day delay in both Hosea and the story of Lazarus had the same result, a reviving. In Hosea, it was reviving the wounded people of God. In John 11, it was the reviving of the dead Lazarus back to life. And when I look at Scripture through a prophetic lens, there are clues which emerge that should gain our interest. I don't think we should stamp these observations as, well, gospel truth, because we have not been given that option by Scripture itself. Yet, there does seem to be a high degree of probability that God is purposely reinforcing this time frame of the season of his return. Well, at least it does to me. <laughs> I add to that 
what I see happening in the world today. There is the war in Ukraine, along with the war in Israel, rumors that both these wars could escalate. There is the coming cashless society being planned right now. There is, in my opinion, an unavoidable coming economic collapse of epic proportions due to the immense amount of unsecured debt, both in governments and individuals. The path the world is on economically is simply unsustainable. It's not a question of if there will be a collapse, just when. So then the stage is completely set for the mark of the beast to be enacted in order to buy and sell. And it will have the compliance of the masses due to this economic peril. And well, you know as well as I do, the masses have been conditioned to compliance through the COVID disease, which saw the whole world wearing masks and getting shots for the greater good, they were told. You top that off with, we have the end times alignment of nations spoken of in Ezekiel 38, which will attack Israel. The three nations spearheading that attack will be Russia, Turkey, and Iran. Never in the history of the world has there been an alliance that included these three nations. Well, that is, until now. You throw in the rising anti-Semitism that is growing around the world, and it doesn't take much to see that a major attack on Israel would be politically popular in the not-too-distant future. The stage is set for the pages of the prophet Daniel and the book of Revelation to be fulfilled. So, if we believe this to be the case, how should we live? Should we just hunker down and await the coming doom of the world and our divine rescue, the rapture? Well, I don't think so. Scripture tells us to live expectantly with our heads up because of the nearness of our redemption. I love what the Apostle Paul writes to young Titus about this very thing. He says this in Titus 2.11-13, through 13, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. This is Jesus. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And here's the impact of that. Verse 12, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And then verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We live lives of grace, which has taught us to live separate from worldly desire, to say no to it. Because of Jesus, we live a sensible, righteous, godly life in the present age, which is the opposite of what is sensible and righteous and godly. And while we live that way, we are always, always looking for the blessed hope, he says the coming, the appearing of the glory of Jesus. This blessed hope is Christ coming for us. I just say what exciting times in which we live. My heart just resonates with the final two verses of the Bible. And I want to close with these final two verses of Revelation 22. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Thanks for listening.
We do hope that you've enjoyed this episode today. If you'd like to learn more about Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas, please visit us at gbcgt.org. Many blessings from our church family to yours.